Well, good morning, everybody. It's an odd question coming out of communion, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever scarfed down a meal? Are you a scarfer? Just, you know, shove the food down as quick as you can. I mean, I'm talking, you got a meeting in 15 minutes, and so you pull into Burger King, and you order a number two, and you unwrap that flame-broiled gem right there as you're leaving the parking lot, and you shove it down during the commute, you eat the fries six at a time, and you suck it all down with a very healthy diet Coke. (laughs) You ever scarfed a meal down? Boy, I hate to admit it, but I have. In between kids' ball games or practice or a meeting or this or that, you know, you just, you're just running and you just find yourself shoving it down as fast as you can. It's terribly unsatisfying. It seems to kind of hit your stomach pretty hard. It doesn't really fill me up for whatever reason. Uh, Dr. Kathleen Zellman writes this. She says, most Americans eat too fast. It takes approximately 20 minutes from the time you start eating for your brain to send out signals of fullness. Scarfing fool's fullness. Now, take that in contrast with savoring. You ever taken your time and just enjoyed a good meal? Man, that is different. Valentine's Day, um, Jody and I had the chance to go to Cooper's Hawk and enjoy a meal there. Now, because Jody is the love of my life, because she deserves it because it was Valentine's Day, because, uh, you know, we wanted to enjoy this meal together. Uh, I took her to the place that I felt like I could give her the best meal possible on Valentine's Day. That, and because a good friend had given me a rather large gift card there. Um, <laughs> But all the, all the first stuff, yeah, that was more important. But anyway, we went and we enjoyed this meal together. We sat down, we ate, we talked like human beings. We had for once nowhere really to be. No meetings to go to, no ball games or practices. We had our kids locked in the closet at home. Uh, not really, but you know, they were, they were taken care of. So we had a chance and we ate, you know, and I had this, I had this steak, medium rare, just medium well, I'm sorry. Not medium rare, medium well. Crab cake, delicious. Mixed vegetables, probably from a can, I don't know. But <laughs> just delightful. All paired with a very nice unsweet tea, uh, vintage 2019. And then topped off with this, this, this chocolate peanut butter skillet cookie with ice cream and, and all that. It was just a, every bite was a dream. And that was very different than shoving down a fast food hamburger on the way to practice somewhere, don't you think? Because I think we understand that how we eat something determines how satisfied we feel. And I wonder if that has anything to do in large part with the way that we read the scriptures as well. Over the last um, several weeks now, we've been talking about this idea of the scriptures and what, what they are and, and what they mean and how we should engage with them. And, and largely we've seen there's a lot of barriers to uh, reading the scriptures in 2019. But what we want to ultimately happen is for us as a church family to develop this relationship with the scriptures, the same as our Lord Jesus had. But also we want to be a people that maybe introduce for you or reintroduce the value of reading these scriptures together 
well. And today I want to just touch on this one question. How do we read the Bible? How do we do some of this? And I want to look at that through the lens of Psalm 1 this morning. If, if you've got a Bible and want to open up, we'll be walking through that psalm together. It's on page 431 in those Bibles in front of you. And this, this first song in Israel's kind of ancient songbook, I think, let me just say, put it this way, it reveals some table manners that we should have as we sit down to the Feast of the Scriptures. Let me read Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one... Who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The the, the table manner, the first one that I see that's, I think, quite popular for us in Springfield is what I'm calling the scarfing method. You see that here in verses 1 and uh, verse 1 particularly, the song opens, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So consider those three table guests. First of all, we have the walking scarfer, okay? The one who walks in step with the wicked. This is someone who can't be tied down to one table but moves through life just picking from table to table and whatever they get. It's just endless consumerism. It's mindless eating. It's drifting through life. It's a little here, a little there, a little over here, walking around, walking around. It's, it, it's I get what I want when I want from whomever I want. It's that kind of drifting, that kind of walking and pulling. It's the kind of person Jesus had in mind when he said in Matthew 7, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. And some, some of you might even be right here like this walker, just rambling through life, tasting whatever is the special of the day, the social fads of the day, the, the sexual morality of the day. You're taking a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from humanism, a little bit from uh, Buddhism or other places and just sort of mixing it all together. That's the walking scarfer. Then the, the psalm goes on to talk about this the standing scarfer, the one who stands in the way that sinners take. And this is even worse because all of the movement in the walker that could have turned uh, to a return to God, it could have led to a shuve, to a uh, repentance, now has stopped. And this is someone who has their feet firmly planted under the wrong table. This is someone who is just shoving it down at the buffet bar. Uh, they're the ones Proverbs talks about. There is a way that seems, uh, appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. This is a person who's, the convicting voice of the Spirit has been hushed. This is someone who uh, maybe is, is found uh, locked into an addiction of some kind. They're they are deep in debt or they're regularly engaging in, in lying or pornography or cheating or some lifestyle. They're stuck. They're standing still. And some of you have felt that. Maybe even right there today. And then this third table guest is the sitting scarfer. Now, this is the worst place of all. This is someone who has grown so comfortable with a sinful lifestyle that they even mock people who live well. They are belly up to the wrong table and they're just enjoying it. 
They're so kind of locked into their sin, they have hardened their heart, maybe their arteries too. They, they've built uh, this sort of wall uh, of complaints and criticism about everybody else in their life, uh, even just kind of masking their own pain and loneliness. They are lost. They are stuck. They're satisfied in their stuckness. The one, the psalm says, who sits in the company of mockers. Eugene Peterson paraphrases all of this in Psalm 1 this way. He says, how well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead-end road. He says, you, listen, you, you don't go to Smart Mouth College. You don't do that, do you? Some people do. Lots of folks do. The, they are those who just sort of scarf through life, whatever they can find to enjoy. They're further described in verse 4, to kind of mix the metaphor here. The psalmist says, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. You know, in ancient times, a farmer would take uh, his harvest up to a, a place, usually on top of a hill, called a threshing floor, where he would use a pitchfork or something and throw his grain up into the air. And as he did that, the, the chaff or the husks of the grain would blow off in the wind. Today would be a wonderful day to do this. The, the, the husk would blow away the chaff and then the, the more substantial grain would fall to the ground and that's the way he separated out his crop. Chaff then is something that's light. It's useless. It's without weight. It's without importance. It's just blown along by every wind. And I wonder if any sense that describes your life right now. Without weight, without importance, without direction. Blown along by every social fad, every passing appetite, every person's whim. The, the psalmist has a word for such person. They are rasha. They are wicked. They are people who won't settle under the right table to feast with God. No time, no, not interested, too busy, too many other passions, you know. Are you rasha? Are you scarfing it all down in life only to find an empty feeling at the end of the day? Well, there's another table manner for those of us who are fed up with just kind of scarfing through life. I'm going to call this the, the savoring method. Look at, uh, again, the psalm, Psalm 1. Let me highlight a few ways to savor God through his word and so to find abundant life. Verse 2, for instance, one way to savor God is through delight. It says, uh, blessed is the one, uh, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The Hebrew term for delight is a word that means joy. It means pleasure. You ever gone to Chick-fil-A? And you sat down and you eat and, and somebody who works there comes by and they pick up your tray and you say, hey, thanks. And what do they say? My pleasure. What a wonderful thing to hear. Now, I'm pretty sure it's not always their pleasure to take away, clean my table or, you know get me a refill on my drink but it's a wonderful thing to hear that's the word here it's the idea of it's it's a joy it's a pleasure to open up these words and to and to to hear them and to to listen to them alan ross says the psalmist found direction not drudgery from the law of god is that is that true of you i mean to be honest i'm guessing that's probably not true of all of us maybe many of us the truth is sometimes we come to this word and we read it out of duty maybe out of drudgery, or maybe out of discipline. That's fine. How do we get to delight? Well, when my boys were small, there was a food that they did not enjoy. There were several, but this one in particular bothered me. They did not enjoy 
guacamole. I felt like that was a sin that needed to be addressed in my family. How many of you like guacamole? Yeah. Wonderful. So wonderful. My boys did not like it. We would give them a little taste and they'd turn up their nose and they didn't like it. I think even my, I think it was my middle son, Rylan, at one point, little, little kid, got a taste of it and cried real crocodile tears because they had been inadvertently put in his taco, you know? Oh, the injustices of life. They dreaded eating it, but, but largely I, I felt like they didn't know what they were missing. And so over time, I keep getting... Try it a little bit. Try it. Try it now. Try it now. Try it. And over time, they started to learn the joy that is guacamole. They tried it afresh. They gave it another chance. They ate it with tortilla chips. They put it on their tacos, you know. And now we fight over Jody's homemade guacamole. It is fabulous. Now I wish I never would have introduced them to it again. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you've yet to develop a palate for this Beautiful library called the scriptures. I get it. Maybe you gave it a shot earlier in life and it hit you the wrong way. You turned up your nose at it. Maybe a a well-meaning parent or friend or even pastor pushed it on you over and over again. You just threw up your hands and said, enough. Maybe it tastes weird compared with all the other offerings that we have in our life these days. Netflix and Spotify and movies and James Patterson novels and Star Wars and PS4 and Twitter and the Internet and all the rest. But listen, the best way to change your palate is to try something afresh, to dig in anew. And then over time, you can slowly change your habit. You begin eating less and less of other things, you know, Facebook, and begin eating more and more of these things, Philippians. And over time, your tastes begin to change. You can delight in this library that maybe you once were disgusted with. You can delight in this. It just takes some time and some attention. The psalmist says, if you want to savor the word of God, learn to delight in it. A second way to savor God through this word is through meditation. Again, verse 2 now, he says, uh, Blessed then are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The Hebrew term for meditation is the word hagah. It meant to, to whisper something, to, to say something, to murmur something under your breath over and over again. The word itself in Hebrew even sounds like a whisper. Why don't you say it with me? Hagah. Ready? Hagah. Now say it as a whisper. Oh, see, it kind of sounds like a whisper. It was used to describe um, the low growl of a lion over its prey. That's the word. And it's the psalmist is using that as an idea of what you do with the scriptures, to murmur them, to whisper them under your breath over and over and over again. Now, I'm not talking about meditation in the Buddhist sense, which maybe you've heard about, which is sort of emptying your mind and trying to find truth within yourself. Hebrew meditation is different than that. It's, it's uh, turning to God and filling yourself with his word. That's the idea. Writer Eugene Peterson describes this idea with his family dog, who would scour the forest around his family's Montana cabin and would bring back maybe uh, the bone of a white-tailed deer or something out of the forest. And he said, anyone who's owned a dog knows the routine. He would prance playfully before us with his prize. And of course, he lavished praise, telling we told, told him what a good dog he was. But after a while, he'd drag the bone off 20 yards or so to a more private place and go to work on it. 
The, the social aspects of the bone were behind him. Now the pleasures became solitary. He gnawed the bone, turned it over and over, licked it, worried it. Sometimes we would even hear a low rumble or growl. He was obviously enjoying himself and in no hurry. And after a leisurely couple of hours, he would bury it and return the next day to take it up again. That's Hagah. That's this idea of meditation. It's taking these words and and chewing on them and rolling them over and over in your mind and unhurried, letting them nourish you, letting them bring strength and, and confusion sometimes and mystery and awe. It's taking a verse or two, maybe it's it's writing it down on a card, it's putting it on your mirror and looking at it through the day or in your car or putting it on the, your cell phone screen so every time you look at that, you're looking at that verse, it's memorizing it, it's focusing on it, it's savors this word. And you could do that. If you want to savor God through his word, you could do that through meditation. A third way to savor God through his word is through obedience. I love what the the way the psalm ends, verse 6. It says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The, the, the idea of that way, the way, the word, the phrase means that manner of life, that undertaking, that journey of life. Uh, the psalmist, I think, ends with this very key point. We savor this book only when we live it, when we obey it, when it becomes our way. Like Joshua chapter 1. You remember the story? Moses has passed away. God speaks to Joshua as he begins his leadership of God's people. And there are so many similarities with this psalm. Listen, Joshua 1 verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You hear all the similarities? Obedience and meditation and prosper and success. Because you see, the truth is, it's just not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough to know the Bible well. Through proper interpretation and application, we have to live it out. As the rabbis used to say, you learn the Torah more with your feet than with your ears. That is, you learn this better by doing what it says as opposed to just hearing what it says. Jesus takes that same perspective in Luke 11. He says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He's on to something. I think this Bible comes alive when you live it out. Now, typically, if you're anything like me, we have this wonderful ability, especially as Americans, to separate what we believe with what we actually do. You ever find that to be true? You may believe that excessive sugar is bad for your health and accelerates diabetes. And yet you, like me, probably also shoved down a donut this morning at the mission fair. But maybe we're missing something. John Goldengay writes, The fact that the Psalter begins with this psalm reminds us that the life of worship and prayer cannot be separated from living life in light of the Torah. You can't expect to worship or pray if you're not living by that teaching. So as you're reading these words, read them maybe with this question. How does God want me to put flesh and blood on this today? 
What do I need to do or stop doing? What do I need to believe or stop believing? What do I need to pray or repent of? Who do I need to love or serve in the name of this God? Where do I see God at work around me and need to join in? See, a person who savors this feast, well, they'll find themselves, first of all, planted by streams of water, rooted, stable, unmoved from the nourishment that they receive. They'll find themselves productive. The psalmist talks about they yield their fruit in season. It's not an immediate outcome. You can't read the Bible and be holy tomorrow. It takes time, but in its time, it bears fruit. And they'll find themselves, the psalm says, prosperous. Whatever they do prospers. Now, when you hear that language, don't think merely the American dream. The psalmist is not describing a house in the reserve, a new Range Rover every six months, you know, millions of followers on Twitter, a wife who's a model, a second house in Maui, nothing bad ever happened to you, you know, always healthy, always happy, which this sounds pretty awesome. It's pretty much my life, but you know, no. God wants success for his people, but it's success defined by a crucified Messiah. Picture Jesus, a life of peace, a life of courage, in the midst of pain and suffering on this side of resurrection. Just think about his contentment, his harmony with God and with each other, other people, his his desire uh, to love others and to find their love thriving and flourishing under God's rule. If you want to live well, this psalm says, delight in these scriptures, meditate on them, live them out. So how do we do it? Let me offer just a few or a couple feasting instructions here. First of all, to read the Bible this way means reading slowly. Now, that's kind of hard to do. I get it, especially where we've been through a New Testament reading plan together. Many of you are engaging in that as a church. And, uh, you know, you've got 10 to 12 pages to read and you've got dinner to get on the table or you've got kids to get off to school or you've got this appointment or that one. I, I get it. It's hard to do this. Plus, we live in this digital age, which has changed the way that we think about reading altogether. I heard this a couple weeks ago. The uh, United States, in the United States, Internet users spend an average of 13 hours online each week browsing 99 domains and 3,123 pages, but the time spent on each website is 56 seconds. So in short, our reading is a mile wide and an inch deep. And we take that same sort of training and we put it right into our approach to the scriptures. It's not a large meal to sit back and to savor and to feast on and to take our time with, but it's more like a quick snack to grab on the go. But what if we began to savor this feast, to reflect on these words, as John put it in Revelation 10, to eat this book, to taste every story, to let the words and thoughts of God inhabit our minds. To do that, we'll have to read slowly. And second, we need to read conversationally. There is in the history of the church an ancient way of reading the scriptures called uh, Lexio Divina, meaning spiritual reading. It's a, it's a way that followers of Jesus have practiced this reading of scriptures, and it's based on some Latin words that uh, I'll just kind of translate for you um, to help as you think about reading the scriptures tomorrow morning. You get up and you say, okay, I want to do it today. Here are some ways to think through that. First, uh, what they called Lexio, which simply means to read. Find a quiet space. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Turn away distractions. Uh, Read the scriptures, maybe even out loud. Read them at a a whisper. Or look for what catches your attention. 
Is there a word? Is there a character? Is there a story that sort of lights up to you? What connects? Read it again. Read. The second, meditatio, which means to, to meditate. So think deeply about this story. Ask yourself, do I identify with someone in this passage? What is this saying? How would my life be different if I lived this out? Let, let the Word of God and the Spirit of God connect this in your heart and come back to it through the day. Meditate. Third, oratio, which means to pray. You know, as you sense uh, this scripture coming to life for you, pray it back to God. I mean, talk to God about this. You know, maybe as you read something, you, you think, man, I've got to thank God. I've got to worship. I've got to praise God for this. Or, or you're reading something and you're just wrecked and you're like, I've got to come clean. I've got to repent. I've got to confess. Or you think, I've got to pray for healing. I've got to pray for, for help. I, maybe you need to vent your anger, your doubt, your frustration. Engage with God in conversation about what you read. And then fourth, complatio is what they said, which means to, to sit in it. You know, as you read the Bible... Let it read you. Ask, you know, God, is there anything else you want to say to me? Just just be with God in that moment. Be present with him. Savor that. Now, I know in, in kind of our present, you know, maybe reading plan, a lot of you are reading, you know, 10 to 12 pages of the New Testament, and you can't do all of this with all of that in a reasonable amount of time necessarily every single day. Uh, for me, what I've done is just take 30 to maybe 45 minutes every day, and here's what I do. I spend the first maybe five, ten minutes in prayer, just kind of quieting my heart, trying to put myself in a place to hear from God. I spend about 15 minutes reading through those 10, 12 pages in the New Testament. And then as, I'm, as I read through that, there might be a story, there might be a, a passage of Scripture, and then I kind of work through these things with that one specific small area of Scripture, maybe 10, maybe 20 minutes, something like that. That's what I do. Maybe that's helpful for you. But ultimately, this is what we're after. We're after a conversational relationship with your father. Listening, talking, conversing. Like a good dinner party, I suppose. If you do this, the psalmist says, you will yield fruit in season. Now think about a psalmist maybe in a Middle Eastern desert somewhere. Think about how rare and sweet that would have been. Fruit. In its season. It's also pretty rare and sweet in Springfield, Illinois. Truth is, we need more fruit in our community. We have, I think, we have plenty of thorns. Men and women who criticize, who scratch, who tear, who rip down, who consume every person who comes close enough, they scarf. What we need are men and women, young and old, who savor the scriptures who delight in them and who meditate on them, who live them out, whatever they do prospers. So my question for you is, are you hungry? Are you ready to eat? Let's pray. Father, shape us to be the kind of people who delight in these words, who meditate on them, who, who live them out. Ultimately, Father, so that we can look like your son, Jesus, our king. We follow him and we see in him uh, the beauty of a life lived in these scriptures. Help us to be shaped in the same way, to be loving and kind, grateful, joyful and generous. 
Lord, as you've given us these words, we're thankful for, for each of them. Help us to then utilize them in our lives and to find their benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.